0: Uh, I, I want you to turn to someone sitting uh, next to you and just tell them what your favorite subject was in middle school or high school. Just says, "What was your favorite subject?" Like, my I, I loved history. Like, history was, was one of my. In fact, Caitlin's home this weekend. She's got a history of the church class coming up this summer, and I said I, I would love to take that for you. Like, I, I love history, um, and I think I was in, in eighth grade though. I had a a teacher named Mr. Snyder. And Jennifer will remember Mr. Snyder, none of you will, because uh, you didn't grow up where I grew up. If you're watching online from Harrison, as some of you do, you'll remember Mr. Snyder. He was the hardest teacher that I ever had. He was in eighth grade. And he was harder than any of my high school teachers. He was harder than any of my college professors. Um, he always said in eighth grade, he said, I'm preparing you for college. I'm like, I got, like, I'm probably not even going to college. Like, I don't need to be prepared for that. But I remember he was my social studies teacher. And I'm not even sure if they have social studies anymore. I don't even know. Um, But I remember the first test he passed out, I got a 47% on it. 47. Yeah, overachiever. That's right. And and that was bad. But the worst part was, like, I had to take that home and have my parents sign that. Now, I was a a bad kid growing up, but I was not bad enough to forge my parents' signature. Like, that, that would not have happened. That would have been a horrible uh, result for me. But um, I remember that I took that test home, and my mom was like, what is this? And I'm like, that's a 47. But someone that got a 42, because you're always trying to throw someone else under the bus, aren't you? Like, it's not as bad as them. Um, but, but I was informed, very politely by my parents, that that was not acceptable. Like, I was in the beat your kid generation. Like, and I took a good one for that. So, so, I did better, right? Like I worked hard. And, and back then, and it's kind of similar today, but every nine weeks you'd get a report card sent home. And like you couldn't go online then and check the grades because I don't think the Al Gore didn't invent the internet yet. Um, but 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 so so you but so every nine weeks you'd get the report card, you'd have to take it home, and your parents would sign it. And I remember I got the report card that day, and for social studies, for those nine weeks, I got an A. And I thought, no one's going to believe this. Because I didn't believe it. Like we had three tests that whole semester or that whole nine weeks, and I got a 47 on one of them. I'm in eighth grade, but I can do the math and know that if I got a 47 on one out of three tests, there's no way I can get an A. Like the best I could do was a C plus, maybe maybe a B minus. So I went to Mr. Snyder and I said, hey, um, I've got an A. He said, I know, I'm proud of you. And I said, well, you don't understand is that that I can't have an A. Because sometimes when you're in the eighth grade, you have to explain things to adults because <laughs> they don't understand. So, so I did. I was explaining this to him. And he said, and I said, he said what do you mean? I said, well, I got a 47. He said, oh, yeah, I took that out. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, every nine weeks, I take out your lowest grade. And, and therefore, like, you, you can get an A because I took it out. Like, yeah, but, but I got a 47. Like, I, I deserved a 47. He said, yeah, you got it. You deserved it, but, but I took it out. And, and I made an A because of his grace and his mercy. I was able to get an A for that nine weeks. And I say that because there is somebody here today, maybe you're in the room, maybe you're watching online, that, that you've made a 47 at some point in your life. Maybe it was an event or a season in your life. And any time you think about that, like it drags you down and it holds you back. And God wants me to let you know today, listen, that he took it out, that what the enemy meant to harm you, that the enemy throws up and reminds you about over and over again, like he he took it out. Because of his grace and his mercy, we don't have to be shackled by those things any longer. And he wants to do immeasurably more. Because here's what we think. And I say we because I'm in this category as well. We think that because we fell down, because we we messed up, because we sinned, that it means that the best that we can do in the future is walk around with shackles and chains and be a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. So for those of you who think that you're not good enough, you're not qualified, or you're overwhelmed by the past, listen, in Christ, God took it out. Again, I'm gonna show you that today by talking about three characters in the Bible. Now, if you grew up in church, you know about these three characters. In fact, you probably know them pretty well. But you may not have heard this side of their story. And the reason you wouldn't have heard this side of their story is because it's messy. And sometimes we like to scrub and sanitize the Bible. Like, we like to make it, make it all pure and, and, and good, but we're not gonna scrub or sanitize it this morning. And listen, and the more church background you have, the more disturbed you're going to be. Like I promise. But if you're gonna be mad, you're gonna be mad at the scriptures Like and take it up with God. Like he he wrote it, not me. And the first person we're gonna talk about is a guy named Noah. Now Noah is famous because he built an ark, right? I've had people ask me, do you think Noah was a real person? yes. Like, I believe there, he was a real person. I believe that there was a, a worldwide flood. Um, I don't think it was an allegory. I don't think it was a metaphor. And, and the reason I believe Noah was a real person is not because we have the story in Genesis, but because Jesus talks about Noah as being a real person. And if you can predict your own death and resurrection and pull it off, like I'm just going with that. Like, so, so like, Jesus said Noah was a real person, so Noah builds an ark. An incredible story. God shows up and says, hey, Noah, I got some good news, and I've got some bad news. And I was like, give me the good news first, or the bad news first. I'm going to kill everybody. Great. Can like, we tell that story to our kids and send them to bed? It's, it's, but Noah was like, okay, like, you got some good news? And God's like, yeah, I'm going to, to save you. And I was like, okay, what do I have to do? Like, I want you to build a boat. Build a boat. Okay, like, I don't even know what a boat is. They're not close to water. It's never rained before. But he builds a boat, and he gets on the boat, and it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. Like, did you know like, that Noah wasn't just on the boat for 40 days and 40 nights, though? Like, he was on the boat for, like, uh, the answers in Genesis, people say 370 days. So for over a year, he's on a boat. Like, can you imagine being stuck with your family on a boat for a year? Like, would that cause any of you, Ephesus in the room, to slightly go crazy? Like, family vacation's kind of good for the first couple of days, and then you're like, hey, I need to go to the store. For what? I don't know. I just need to go. Like, for over a year. But so finally, Noah gets off the boat. That's what we're going to talk about. And it's disturbing. It's in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. It says this, after the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. Like, not just a tree. He was like, I got to get away from you people. I'm going to plant a whole vineyard. And he had a plan. I went, well, Josh, what was his plan? Well, I'm gonna tell you the next verse. It says, one day he drank some wine that he had made and he became drunk. Like, that was his plan. He, he had thought about this. And then it says he lay naked inside his tent. Like, that's not in your children's Bible. Like, KCC Kids lesson today, we're gonna to color this picture. Like, honey, I don't think this is a church. Like, no, like... Like, you don't talk about those things. Like, I heard a sermon recently, and the guy stood up at the pulpit, and he beat the pulpit, and he was talking about drinking, and I'm not talking about drinking, but he said, like, back in the days when the Bible was written, they didn't know how to ferment wine, and it was just grape juice. Explain that. I like this is Genesis chapter 9, drunk and naked. Like, we can all agree that this probably isn't Noah's finest moment. I mean, he's drunk and he's naked. For some of you, that was spring break. For some of you, that was yesterday. I don't know. But he's drunk and naked. Can it get worse than this? Yeah, it can. Watch. Keep reading. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so that they could not see him naked. Now, I don't know what happened here. I don't Scholars so like, they don't have any idea what happened here. And I'm not a scholar, so I'm not going to make something up. But here's what I know, is when Noah finally woke up, he was mad. Like, mad, mad. And I'll prove it if you just keep on reading. It says, when Noah woke up from his stupor, it was grape juice, like He learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done, and then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. So he got drunk, naked, cursing Noah. Like, this guy couldn't get a job in the church, but he's one of our heroes. And he says this, he said, "'May Canaan be cursed.'" May he be the lowest of servants of his relatives. Then Noah said, may the Lord of the God of Shem be blessed and may Canaan be his servant. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May Japheth share the prosperity of Shem and Canaan be his servant. Like he's going off. Like he's mad. Like have you ever been to a movie or a TV show or you've been watching a TV show and the ending was just horrible? I mean, I, I think I lost like, Lost, like, I spent a lot of time watching that show, Lost. And that last season, like, I cried. Not because it was, it was over, because I will never get that time back. <laughs> like, I it was terrible. But this is how this story ends. Noah is a great man of faith. He builds a boat. He saves the world. He plants a vineyard. He gets drunk and naked and cussing. And then this is the last verse we read about Noah in the whole Bible. Noah lived another 350 years after the great flood. He lived 950 years and then he died. That's it. So the last thing we hear about Noah in the Old Testament is this story that we don't talk about in church, drunk, naked, cussing Noah but it happened. Then we go a few chapters later in Genesis to a guy named Abram. Abram was known as a man of, of great faith. God said, Abram, I want you to leave where you're at right now and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. Now, where do you want me to go? Like, I'll, I'll show you once you get there. You just pack up and you start going. And right there, I'm out because I need a better plan than that. Like What do I need to pack? How long am I gonna be there? But he just got up and left, and he wound up, wound up in the land of Canaan. And a great story. But there's one part of the story that, that we never talk about, and I'm gonna tell you why. It's because it's disturbing. Like it is, It's bad. It's, it's hard to teach on, even. And it's in, in Genesis chapter uh, 12, starting in verse 10. It said, so, so at that time... A severe famine struck the land of Canaan. So so he made it to Canaan. He's living there. There's a famine, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. So let me ask you a question, and I'm not trying to trick you. Did he stay in Canaan, yes or no? No. He went to Egypt because there was a famine. It says, as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife Sarai, look, you are a very beautiful woman. Now, if he would have stopped right there, that would have been good. But here's the problem. If we're not careful, we skip right over this next part. He said this, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them that you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Let me tell you what's going on in this text. And it's very uncomfortable. He's telling Sarah, hey, I've got a business proposition for you. I'm going to pimp you out." He basically sells his wife to the Egyptians to spare his life and for financial gain. Is that a good husband? Good man? Like, sounds awesome, doesn't it? That's the guy I want to marry. No! Like, this is Abraham, the man of faith. And he's trying to protect himself, so he gives his wife as a sex slave to the Egyptians. And now to make it, like, even, let's talk about Sarah for a minute, too. Watch what happens with Sarah. And now to be fair, she's about 86 years old, and God comes to her and tells her and Abraham that, hey, I'm going to give you a son. And at 86, you're not really planning on having a kid, right? Like, I'm 45, and, like, I'm not going to have another kid, But so so this goes on. In 13 years, like, she still hasn't had a kid. So she's doubting God's promise. And every single person here or, or watching online, like, if you're honest, you will say there is a time that you have doubted the word of God, which is what she does. In Genesis 16, 1 through 5, it says this. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah told Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. This is like Jerry Springer meets the scriptures. (laughs) Like, perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. Dumb man. But so Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. And what did they do? Like, I'm glad you asked. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abraham, this is all your fault. Wait, whose idea was this? said I put my servant into your arms and now that she is pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. Here's a question and an easy one. Did Sarah have faith to believe that God was going to fulfill his promise? No. So we just read about drunk, naked, cussing Noah, Abram, the the man that was willing to sell his wife for financial gain, and his wife, Sarah, who had no faith. Can we all agree that these are some messed up people? And by the way, that's all there is, is messed up people. Like Aiden and I were sitting at home the other day and uh, we had Amelia with us and I tried all day to get her to sleep and I couldn't, like I'm bad at that game. But he was showing her some Snapchat filters. Like just letting her look at herself with different filters on and it finally put her to sleep. But I was thinking about, fil- like I don't know, I don't have Snapchat even. I don't know anything about filters. But here's what I know, like, I've been working with church people that have been using filters for years. Like we filter our stuff like so that we don't look so bad, that we want to make it look better. And what I love about the Bible is that it takes all of our heroes and it shows us really as we read scripture, as we look into their lives, that there is really only one hero and his name is Jesus. Everyone else is just as messed up and as sinful as we are in this room. Like David, he was a man after God's own heart. Like you mean the guy that committed adultery and murder? Like they were all messed up. And we see that in the Old Testament. When we get to the New Testament, there's a book in the New Testament called Hebrews. And in Hebrews, there is what we call the Faith Hall of Fame. And it talks about Noah, and Abraham, and Sarah. Let's look at what the New Testament says about these three people. Hebrews chapter eleven, verse seven says, "It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save save his family from the flood." He obeyed God, who warned him about the things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, if I'm in a classroom and God's telling me this, like I'm raising my hand and going, hey God, what about drunk, cussing, naked Noah? And God would just be like, hey, I took it out. I like it happened. It was there, it was real. It was messed up, but that was the old. This is the new, and I took it out. Let me, let me tell you about Abram in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God, obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that he would give him as an inheritance. He went there without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God had promised him, he lived there by faith. But did he? Or did he leave and go to Egypt? Wait, that's not in the story but it happened it said for he was like a foreigner living in tents and so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundation a city designed and built by god hey wait a minute god i got another question what about abraham the pimp what about him selling his wife for financial gain and god's like oh i took it out i mean it happened It was real, it was bad, but that was in the old. In the new, I took it out. What about Sarah? Very next verse, talks about Sarah. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. Did she? Or did she tell Abraham to sleep with Hagar? And so a whole nation came from this one Who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. God, I'm sorry. I got to interrupt you one more time. What about the whole thing with Hagar? And God's like, yeah, I took it out. It happened. It was real, but that was in the old and now we're in the new. Because see, what happened with Noah and what Noah did doesn't define him. What happened with Abraham and what Abraham did doesn't define him. What happened with Sarah and Hagar like doesn't define them. Because if you are in Christ, what defeated you in the past does not get to define you in the future. And not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is, period. The difference is old and new. All three of these stories come from the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, all in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, they were taken out. It's the same thing for for each of us. The old is the best we can do on our own. But in Jesus Christ, we are a new creation and the old is gone. With Jesus Christ living in us, the fact that he was crucified and rose from the dead means that we don't have to let the past shackle us any longer. The past has held some of you back for so long. And God wants you to know today that the thing that haunts you He took it out. And it boils down to three main words. Judgment. We all know what judgment is. Judgment is when you get what you deserve. how, How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket before? I've gotten one speeding ticket in my life. It was the day that Todd moved to Ken Monday, so I blame him. Um, I was helping him move, move into his house, and, and because of that, I was running late for a meeting in Champaign. So I took off from his house and I was flying up 57. And I got just short of Effingham, and I saw the blue lights come on behind me, and, and I knew like I was in trouble. So the officer came up and said, Do you know how fast you were going? I said, Apparently, too fast. He said, Yes. And he wrote me a ticket for going 84 and a 70. But you know what? I had to, like, I had to pay the ticket, I got what I deserved. There was no sense in arguing about it. Like, that's what I deserved. And ultimately, what we deserve for sin is death. You know, some people are like, I don't agree with judgment. Yes, you do. Someone hurts one of your kids. You'd be like, oh, honey, we can't judge them. Forget about that. No, you're going after them. Like, judgment is what we deserve. In the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 in the New Testament, when the son comes home, According to the Old Testament, what he would have deserved would have been to be stoned. He would have deserved death. But then there's this thing called mercy. And mercy, very simply, is when we don't get what we do deserve. Like mercy would be like me taking the ticket to the courthouse and the judge looking at me, going, Hey, did you do 84 and a 70? Yes, sir, I did. He bangs the gavel and says, Hey, you don't have to pay. That's mercy. Mercy is when we don't have to pay for for what we know that we did wrong. But then there's grace. Grace would be the judge not only saying you don't have to pay, but saying, hey, let's have a party because this guy even showed up. Like, how awesome would that be? And that's what happens with the story of the prodigal son. He leaves home. He he deserves judgment. Mercy's the father letting him come home. But the father goes above and beyond that and throws him a party. Like, listen, Jesus just doesn't want to forgive us. He wants to celebrate us. He wants, to live, he wants us to live a full life, free from the shackles of the past, free from regret, free from guilt, free from shame, free from addiction, free from grief. He wants us to live that life. And if he can forgive Noah and he can forgive Abram and he can forgive Sarah and he can forgive me, listen, he can forgive you. Like what would happen if a group of people really believed that? I could be very similar to the story that Todd told during communion, that we'd go to our homes and we would tell everyone how well the Lord has done for us and how merciful he's been. And it would change people's lives. What if we believed what Proverbs 24, 16 says, that so for, the righteous, for though the righteous fall seven times, See, the fact that you've fallen at some point doesn't mean you're not righteous. It just confirms that you're human. So though though righteous fall seven times, they rise again. What if we were a group of people that did that? That aren't here to pass judgment? That aren't here to, to continue to shackle people because of their past? But as a group of people, we offered mercy and grace and we celebrated with each other as Christ does with us when we get back up. Now, Jesus paid it all so that we wouldn't have to be shackled any longer. And for some of you, it's time to step out of the chains of the past. For some of you, for the very first time, it's time for you to give your life to Christ in baptism. Paul would write in, in Romans chapter 6. That we are united with Christ in, in his death, burial, and resurrection and baptism. And that in him the old is gone and the new comes. We're no longer a slave to sin, but we become a slave to righteousness and a slave to Christ. Old is gone, the new has come. I'm gonna ask you to stand and pray. And if there's a decision that you need to make today, I want to invite you to do that. Father God, we're thankful that in Jesus Christ we don't have shackles that in Jesus Christ, that which was is old, that it has happened, and, and some of us, we did it. Some of us, it, it doesn't let us sleep at night. But Father, today, I pray that you'd help us to realize that, that it's new in you and that you took it out, that it's gone. Father, I pray today for those who are struggling with what, what has happened in their past. One, I pray if, if they need to step into freedom, I pray that they would do that today if they would just trust your promise and trust your word, that, Father, that, that the old is gone and the new has come, Father, I pray today would be the day of trust. Father, I pray as a church that we would be a people that do not want to pass judgment, but that want to have mercy and to have grace and to celebrate when the righteous fall and they, they get back up. Thank you for Jesus and the way that he celebrates us. It's in his name that I pray.